Welcome to the Deep End by On Deck, a podcast for visionary builders, creators, and experts discuss world-changing ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozlov. Let's dive in. At the Deep End, we're creating a space where you skip the surface level and go in-depth into ideas that inspire people to build. I'll be your guide as we explore possible futures of internet communities, creator tools, climate tech, longevity, and much, much more. There are no experts in uncharted territory, only pioneers. The Deep End invites these trailblazers to turn their experiences into the knowledge and ideas others need to start their own founder odysseys. Today is the last episode of the year, so we're celebrating by doing something a little different. Rather than have a single guest on, we invited 11 senior on-deck employees to answer a single question. What trend did you expect to change, emerge, or accelerate in 2022? To help them answer honestly, we were very clear that these aren't necessarily predictions. Instead, my colleagues were instructed to think about patterns they've noticed this past year and project how they might shift or continue in 2022. Next year, we'll revisit this analysis and ask our colleagues where they were right, where they were wrong, and why. First up is Andreas Klinger, on-deck CTO and seed investor on the side. Andreas is based in Berlin. You can find him on Twitter at Andreas Klinger. Andreas, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? So um, in the last one or two years, I think everybody noticed the rise of remote work and how remote work is kind of like the new normal for a lot of digital workers. I think the big thing you will notice next year, uh, especially in a potential economic downturn, is how countries and regions are competing for high-income remote workers. So it will be very, very normal for a country to actively try to optimize their taxation, immigration, and other codes to attract interesting digital workers. Uh, because it's quite frankly, it's easier to attract one person and their family versus like a whole company. And we have seen this trend already now. Um, I think in America, a very famous example is obviously Miami, but also Las Vegas. In Europe, you have Portugal and Italy being very, very aggressive at this. Uh, Ireland is also like doing now reforms in this direction again. So I believe this will be a very, very strong trend in the near future, that it will be just common for countries to actually compete almost like in a free market, which we are not used to yet. And that's really interesting. I was going to ask the, what have you observed that's giving up? You gave the Miami example. I'm curious beyond the US, referring to countries, are there any examples you could think of of this happening already? Yeah, 100%. I think the most famous example right now is Portugal. Uh, Portugal in the last few years uh, introduced several new taxation laws that make it very, very interesting for an international person to move there and work from there, uh, going from uh, lower income to certain special optimizations that you have in the first few years um, towards additionally um, optimization for potential investments and so on and so on. So it's it's, ex- it's extremely interesting right now to, to move to a country like Portugal, for example, a part of the general lower cost of living. Italy has something similar and like multiple countries have this right now, also like in uh, Asia. I believe this will be a very, very common trend. I believe that almost every country will have a certain initiative like this, potentially very temporary. So like it's only valid for two, three, five years. But I think this will be the common norm 
I think we will very soon we will have a glass door of countries. And uh, the other interesting angle here is that a lot of people actually not actively think about moving to another country. They don't think like I'm moving to Portugal. They're thinking of I'm moving to Lisbon or I'm moving to New York, London, Miami. So people tend to actually think more currently in cities. So there's a high chance that even regions have this kind of competition. Um, so for example, in America, you have Tulsa, Oklahoma, which has active grants for remote workers who want to move there. So you actually get cash, like you get cash on hand if you move there, plus they help you finding a house. So I think this will be more and more common. Um, and I think 2020 will have a lot of that. Can I add one more? Please. An interesting side effect of people moving to other countries and, or in general, being more flexible with moving around is um, that things that we are used to only by rich people, so international optimization in taxes, will be a thing that middle-class people can do. So having holding companies in one company, officially living in one country, unofficially living in another one, and then moving to another country for like certain other benefits. Um, this kind of like new mobility and also international taxation and wealth optimization which used to be very famously only for rich people like Panama Papers and so on and so on. I think this will be more and more normal as it's very easy and very approachable for uh, remote work plus now more and more um, international uh, like building holding companies and so on and so on becomes like easier and easier. Perfectly said. Andreas, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Min Kim is a partner at ODX based in San Francisco. ODX is on Deck's community-backed fund and accelerator program. In her role, Min's job is to help the best founders in the world by removing obstacles, opening doors, and creating customized programming for each startup in the program. She's had some exposure to some incredible companies this year through her amazing work at On Deck. You can find her on Twitter at mini underscore cat. So Min, what is an idea or trend you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? I've got two, and I know maybe that's or maybe that's too much, but so cut me off at any point. But two things that I'm really excited about. One I think is newer, um, but always on spatial audio. And so the reason I think I'm excited about that is because while well, we just spent the last two years almost living on the living online. And now all of us have these AirPods in our ears uh, and it's become like a much more generalized um, like product that we kind of live with. I don't know if you have friends, but you know, I keep my AirPods in my I, ears I and I totally friends, forget so. about them. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, but, but you know, you put your AirPods in your ears and then whether they're on or ambiently, you know, um, they, I just forget that they're in there. And um, on top of that, there's this like new surround sound technology that's become like really much more readily accessible. I don't know. You've probably seen like if you're into sound engineering, like Dolby Technologies has come out with like really great surround new surround sound technology that you can access in your like AirPods. And you're, so I'm wearing AirPods Maxes right now. And so um, different music uh, you can access like just through your phone now. Um, with that technology, which if you've not listened to it, it feels like you're in a movie. Um, and so the combination of those two things, and I'm very audially inclined, uh, and 
I've been thinking about, okay, well, when we all live in the metaverse <laughs> or when we live online even more, um, I think there's something really interesting that's going to happen with spatial audio, especially when you consider like we're expecting a lot more VR, AR products to come out over the next year tentatively. Uh, that's like the rumorville, right? Like the Apple is going to come out with a new headset. Um, it's got their own. And um, so the combination of that is exciting. I'm just curious, given the way you're discussing audio, audio has always been top of mind for folks, Clubhouse, Twitter spaces, all those things. I'm curious, do you think there are any immediate lessons from the past two years of audio that will impact the way spatial audio can work in the metaverse? Well, I think it's a matter of like, we will need to develop two things. One is like, we will need to develop new skills, I think, um, in terms of how we uh there's like this um, kind of the way that like, you know, when, when you uh, have like a producer that can like listen in one ear and then also talk at the same time, um, like that, that kind of like dual listening and speaking skill, um, I think is something that like you'll, that really, really good people at conversation, frankly, right, in the audio or in an, like an audio first world will like you'll develop. Um, and then the other part I think is what can you do when you can like listen in one ear and also uh, continue to produce? So, you know, like I think about um, real time translation happening in some ways, which you can sort of do today, but it's really clunky, right? Because you say something into your phone and then it translates out. And then what's magical is you can speak to somebody um, in, in like their local language. But what if the both of you are actually like wearing AirPods? This is like very kind of like futuristic, but you know, I can say something and then actually it'll direct translate into the other person's ear in their local language instead. So you kind of cut out like the phone, right? Um, and so that's something that I can imagine happening in like an audio first world, which will open up the kinds of conversations and the people that can communicate with each other, which um, it's pretty exciting. And what's your second prediction? Oh, the second prediction is more of an acceleration, but I think uh, computer-generated art uh, and like content in general, um, and so related-ish, right? But uh, I think last year, um, if you spent, if you like me, last year during 2020, spent a lot of time on TikTok, you probably saw like talking heads, which um, look like Harry Potter portraits, and uh, they look like real life. You could take like a photo of like a deceased ancestor and then reanimate it. Um, using like latest uh, machine learning techniques. And that was like a 2020 like popular trend. I think you'll only see an acceleration of things like that um, combined with more synthetic audio. And then that obviously has like ramifications on, well, how do you distinguish like quote unquote, what is, what is authentic, what is not? Um, and the reason I think it'll accelerate is because you're seeing more artists come online digitally um, with like the attractiveness of NFTs, right? And um, there's this new app that came out a couple weeks ago or recently, like a week ago called Dream. And um, it's beautiful. Like you type in a couple words and it generates like this surreal kind of punky, like I don't know, solar punky kind of vibe, just like paintings. And you could imagine, obviously, like every anyone like minting those and making like collectibles out of them. Um, but there's like economic incentive for, I think, more computer generated art. And then the other part is, OK, well, where what are the what are the applications or use cases where you want like authentic, authentic, authentic art? Right. And I think some of that comes down to the sense of like personal one on one. Right. Like the idea of like a like the analogy that I have in my head is 
when somebody writes you a card, like a physical card or a physical letter, you, when you receive it, probably are like, wow, that's so thoughtful. Like, um, and I appreciate that because it would have been so easy to write me an email. Thank you. Right. Um, and so there is clearly like value to the more kind of quote unquote old school, um, version of content creation. Um, and that will continue to persist. And I'm keeping an eye out on like, where will that matter? Um, whether that's for like legal purposes or just for sentimental purposes. But on the flip side, I think you'll just see an even more explosion of AI powered content um, because it's just faster and frankly, quite good. That's so interesting because it brings to mind the fact that like vinyl is now cool again. So you're Mm -hmm. actually selling more actual records. There were more records sold last year than actual CDs. So that's an example of how streaming and all these digitized versions of music have actually made this previous format in its own way more valuable. So I think it's interesting to see, given the framework you're giving, how you could see a world where just because there's like artificially generated um, art doesn't mean art in other contexts is going to be valuable too. So that's a, that's a really interesting contrast. <laughs> totally, totally. And then the other part, right? Like um, incentive for, you know, in commerce, right? Every time you land on a page, right? If you have like um, a synthetically generated voice of somebody that you know, that you trust, right? Um, or feels like that way, like telling you like, hey, have you seen this product? Would that not create more incentive for you to purchase? And I think you'll see like more companies and retailers and like also embrace that as well. That's awesome. Well, Min, thank you for the two, very specifically two different uh, discussion <laughs> points here. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Eric Friedman is also an ODX partner and has served as OnDeck's interim CEO. He helps founders push rocks uphill and can be found in New York City and on Twitter at Eric, that's the C. Eric, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? My belief is that the fungibility and transference of in-game artifacts will continue to be tradable and transactable across platforms. We've seen it start already. You spend all this time and energy in one game whether it's sports or action or first-person shooter. And then when the next version comes out, you've got to start all over. And this idea of starting from scratch has been turned upside down by the world of, of course, everybody's favorite topic of 2021, NFTs. And my belief is that you shouldn't have to start over and you should be able to bring some things with you from ecosystem to ecosystem. And I'm curious, do we have any examples in 2021 of folks starting to build in those functions? I think you have AAA game studios who have made head nods to both acceptance of a cryptographic handshake or something under the hood using the technology of the day to make it possible. And there's been some fan reactions that are pretty visceral. You've got people that don't support it at all. And you've got folks that are pretty intensely into following the trend. And you've got new, I'll call them, tier two studios that are using these from the start. And so um, while it's early, I think it's safe to say that if you spend the time and energy in a game, much like people want to see, you know, whether it's Minecraft and you see the physical costumes or characters or physical goods in the world, 
you should and could expect to see those things in another game or on another platform. I don't know what they're going to do with their stuff, but that's my prediction. A, can explain what the AAA reference meant. And B, I'm a little surprised that people pushed back on the idea. What's the good faith articulation of why people weren't excited about the idea um, that you're discussing? I think people see new fads, new technologies, and newfangled things that are bringing a lot of notoriety, riches, or things people classify as not making sense, or maybe even go so far as to say stupid, as being another flash in the pan thing. So therefore, when you apply the latest zeitgeist to a gamer audience, they say, we don't need that. And my thesis has been, no one's going to know or care that there's crypto under the hood. They're going to think, how do I bring this battle axe from my favorite game into this new game? And a AAA studio could be someone like Valve or makers of Call of Duty, Activision, think World of Warcraft. Game studios, you know, and you can say the name of a game and someone nods their head yes. Tier two or the long tail are game studios that want those audiences, want to attract and bring them in. And here's the interesting thought. You can go to those fans and say, hey, you spent all this time and energy earning these experience points, getting these inventory items, or providing something in the game. Come over here, bring it with you. I remember Marshall playing with him online in Discord or this first person shooter. Now you guys are together again in this new indie game and you've got all the stuff with you. The big game studios, they want to keep their clutches on their ecosystem, but you and I just want to play. And so I think at the end of the day, no one's going to know or care that the underlying technologies that enable this are a cryptographic handshake that says, I'm taking my battle ax from that cool game and going to this new one, but we're going to see each other in that third place and be able to play and have fun again. And I'll be like, oh, that's the skin that you bought, or that's the thing that you won, or that's the battle ax that you used. And we'll see it again in a brand new game. Really fascinating. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. We're definitely going to actually have to talk about this more at length because the video game part is really fascinating. I think everything you're saying lines up and has a helpful picture behind it. So thank you so much for coming on. I would love to. Thanks very much. Ann Bossman just joined On Deck to be the general manager of our careers division. She joined us from Boston after five years leading operations at General Assembly and multiple COO such operations leadership roles at other organizations. She can be found on Twitter at Ann O'Lo. Hi, Ann. Hey. What is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? This is such a big question because I think there are so many uh, areas to explore that are really going to happen. Um, I think from from what I see, I think we'll see this as many, many trends. I think the trend is really going to be scaling new businesses. Um you know, COVID was such an interesting time. And I think 2020, a lot of people, as we know, kind of quit their full-time gigs, really took advantage of the opportunity to explore new ideas. Uh, We've had now almost two years of these entrepreneurs, and we've seen it a lot here at On Deck, 
they've been building, they've been creating, they've been exploring. And I think now we're at like that rocket ship moment where we're going to see a lot of new companies emerging in scaling. So I think a trend is going to be hiring. I think we're going to see a lot of these new companies that no one's ever heard before. They're now going to be the next Ubers, the next Airbnbs. Um, and I think a lot of these, maybe this is just my own bias for, for being in Boston, <laughs> Massachusetts, um, or, you know, the pandemic. Uh, I think a lot of these are going to be in biotech. Um, I think a lot of, of entrepreneurs have kind of focused their visions more on making that, that deep impact. So kind of moving away from those shared economy services, you know, when we saw the, the, the ride sharing and the delivery services and things like that, consumer products, tech products, I think now we're going to see more uh, mission-oriented type of ideas um, that are looking to scale that are going to make more of those types of impacts around health, healthcare, um, climate change, and things like that. So it's going to be a really exciting time, I think. And it's going to be really interesting to see who who comes out of this this thing uh, with a brand new, you know, high-performing, high-growth company. Yeah. And you don't have to name names because I think everyone's still semi in stealth mode going into 2022. But yeah. what are some general examples of founders, companies that you've just seen who in a pre-pandemic era would have tried scaling by now? By now, mm -hmm. but instead are kind of staying more under the radar. Like, what 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 have you been seeing so for the past two years that's convinced you that this is going to be the thing in twenty two? I'd say that a lot of the healthcare, um, and this might not be different than it was before. I think they're taking a lot longer for trials. Um, you know, really getting it right uh, because it can have such such an impact. And I'm not just talking about kind of like vac vaccination related things, like anything, any kind of you know, health, healthcare related new drug or product. You know, I think Moderna is a great example for all of us that they had been working on that mRNA technology for about 10 years uh, before mm -hmm. they became this like household name. And they weren't necessarily stealth, like they went public. But I think um, there's there's more of an appetite now for people to um, spend more time in stealth, spend more time um, getting it right before just sh shipping it out into the world. Um so that's a really interesting question because, you know, I don't know if I've thought about it that critically before, but I do think you're right that that uh, startups in general, we've started to slow down a bit and do more of that exploring phase, more of the kind of piloting phase um, before kind of hitting that button on like, all right, it's go time. Let's announce ourselves to the world and let's just scale what we what we have and deal with those consequences later um, and pivoting later. I think I think you're right that that's that's changing a bit now. For sure. Yeah, it, it, it's funny because, and I don't quite have the perfect articulation of this, but I've it just feels as if, despite the cliche about ideas not being worth anything, mm. ideas are actually deeply important right now. Not yes. in the sense of the valuation of a company, but I think founders themselves are spending a lot more time thinking about the spaces that they're in. Yeah. And this, this is what's driving a lot of the Web3 conversation. This is obviously yeah. the definition of what's happening in healthcare right now. So I just think the idea of taking time to think through things during these moments and then eventually having to hit the point where you have to go out of stealth and accelerate is a really useful framework. So, you know, unless you have yeah. anything else to add, Annie, this has been, Annie, this has been super yeah. great. Yeah, and I'll just say that I think you're spot on. I think there's more of an appetite for that idea generation stage and that ideation stage that wasn't necessarily there, you know, about 10 years ago, even where it was less about the idea or the idea being unique um, or differentiated. And it was more about just getting it out there and, and how well can you execute on the idea? I think you're right that now um, there's definitely more space and time and kind of appreciation 
for the idea itself and those those big thinkers. Um, I couldn't agree more with that. So it's definitely an interesting interesting time for us to see see what happens. And I think all in all, it's going to be really exciting and an exciting year. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. We welcome back Atlanta-based KP to the show after he joined us in October to chat about building in public. We thought his perspective would be an interesting one to share immediately after Anne's comments to provide that contrast. As a reminder, KP is director of OnDeck's no-code program. It can be found on Twitter at thisiskp underscore. KP, welcome back to the deep end. Here's the question. What is an idea or trend you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? Um, I'm going to talk about no-code, obviously. Uh, I think one, there's a couple of things that are fascinating to me um, as trends. One is the verticalization of of no-code. is uh, has been a emerging trend. I've noticed a lot of that in 2021, and I think it'll only accelerate in 2022 and beyond. By verticalization, what I mean is if you think about um, classic no-code use cases where it was like Zapier or Integromat or Airtable, they were all horizontal plays. And verticalization would be like uh, one example is uh, Zapier for e-commerce, you know, as a vertical, or uh, legal tech or health tech or financial. And they are, the, the reason why... They are stemming up now, and I think will continue to step up more than in the past. Is because um, it's gotten to a point where people expect automations, and people finally got around to understanding how important automation software tools are. But they don't want to be sold something that's a very generic and doesn't speak the language and the persona of my vertical. So the example here is Alloy, a company uh, came up recently, uh, which is a e-commerce automation uh, uh, tool, which is fascinating because the, if you see the landing page, runalloy.com, everything is set up to speak to an e-commerce, mer- e-commerce merchant. and and But they were kind of like doing what Zapier has done in the past. So I think verticalization will be very, very effective. The other thing that I think will be fascinating is kind of the blend between uh, the emergent Web3, the DAOs, the Web3s and NFT um, territory and no code. And I think um, it's only about a matter of time, maybe 2022 or maybe 2023. I don't know when, but it's only a matter of time before somebody creates the world's first um, no-code NFT contract builder, right? Like kind of like the early days of uh, building a website, you know, in the 90s. And if you remember in famous, uh, I think now with the famous podcast, Chris Dixon and Naval's words, where uh, the NFT is a web page, I mean, the metaphor is. So in that case, then... Can you let an average Joe go edit that NFT or create an NFT, publish an NFT? And I think that would be the no-code angle I'm fascinated about. Um, and then the third one is, of course, um, I think this is kind of overdone. And I just want to give this as a cautionary tale for founders who maybe are working through the holidays to kind of step back and say, uh, maybe not not the trend that I'm most bullish on, which is front-end builders. Like if you're currently creating a front-end builder, like editor for uh, CSS or a f- web page, I think it's overdone. Like Webflow has done it. Oh my God, there's so many, like Adalo has done it. For, everybody's done it. So step back and especially web two to web three transitions happening. I'd rather you focus on things that are not solved yet. Um, like the backend 
uh, or or some of the uh, database stuff that's still like not very very easily uh, accessible to most most people than uh, recreate the square space you know again and and so on in the web web two space. Very well said, KP. Thank you for joining us for the segment. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Julian Weiser is a co-founder of OnDeck and has helped bring many functions of our company from zero to one, including this podcast. He's currently helping founders get involved for ODX Accelerator program. His Twitter DMs are open at Julian Weiser. Julian, what's an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? Yeah, something that I've been really cognizant of in this last year has been this emergence of the idea of the fractionalization of everything. And what that really means is people coming together um, to co-own or co-govern various things that used to be restricted to one person with a lot of money having control over, be that sort of a stake in an NBA team. Krauss House, um, I think, was the first sort of DAO to go after trying to buy something together that was very ambitious, in their case, a minority ownership in an NBA team, um, through to Constitution DAO, which I was a part of, which you know was seeking to you know buy a copy of the Constitution and make it available to the public. Uh, and we raised $47 million in about a week. So this idea of people coming together to accomplish big things, usually big monetary things, um, and and put them more at reach to the average person. And the obvious follow-up here, because you cited two very specific examples of Krauss House and then Constitution Dow as why this trend is going to continue. Something I'm just curious about, and you don't have to have a perfect answer, obviously, is do you think it's possible or let me put it this way, is this space waiting for a very clear example of not only fractionalized ownership and governance, but that situation in either case actually leading to new opportunities or something better? So maybe it's that the Kraus House buys a team, then that team actually does better than teams that are owned by one style. Like, How do, how do you think about that real world impact versus the, this is just a little different structurally than before? Sure, sure. So I think you I think you touched on something really interesting with regard to Krauss House because, you know, currently teams are thought of as a city's team. Um, but if the internet buys a team, it becomes the internet's team, right? So it could very easily go from the New Orleans Pelicans to, you know, which is something that people presumably only in New Orleans or who have some connection to New Orleans or Pelicans, uh, you know, would be interested in. And it shifts to being something that the entire internet uh, can have a stake in and be interested in. I think that that, that decentralization um, and sort of the removing of the geography, especially when it comes to sports teams, is interesting. Um, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, co-owning uh, you know, a crypto punk or co-owning uh, the X Games, I think that there's just a lot to be said for if people can have a part in feeling like they actually aren't just a spectator, but they're a participant it really changes the dynamic of how people value these things. One thing that's really interesting about Constitution DAO is that the price point of what the Constitution or the copy of the Constitution was going to sell for um, wasn't factored in 
or, or the, the idea that multiple small parties would pool together wasn't factored into the price estimate of what the Constitution would go for. Had Constitution Down not been involved, the Constitution would have sold probably for somewhere around $30 million, which actually would have been uh, not a record. Uh, you know, the, the record before this was um, a, a sketchbook, uh, I believe Picasso's sketchbook that sold for $35 million. And once you factor in the interest and the money from small uh, small buyers or small contributors, it actually causes things to become more valuable um, because there's more people who can participate in the bidding process or more part people who can participate in the ownership process. So I actually think that NBA teams, uh, just as one example, will go up in value uh, when retail investors are able to participate uh, in the ownership and governance of them. That's really interesting. The last thing I'll add to make your example of a team not necessarily needing a city more clear to folks is think of the in the NFL with Jacksonville Jaguars. That's already a team that um, because of a very variety of ownership decisions, they play home games in London. So there's actually already a, a precedent of a team basing itself in one city, but also having a relationship with other cities. So it'd be interesting to see a world where you'd still have, and, and once again, you know, not everyone want, would want the internet's team. I would still feel deeply about the Portland sure. Trailblazers. I probably wouldn't vote for the internet team, but there are plenty of people who don't. Let's say you're from um, trying to. Let's say you're from Montana, or you're from. You, you know, like when you see those maps of like most popular sports teams in certain regions of the country, and oftentimes the Dallas Cowboys will actually move beyond actually there. And actually, I'm saying this out loud, but that was the whole America's team idea. Um, whether it's the um, you know the Atlanta Braves or the Cowboys, so that's really. That's smart. That's really that's really good. That's exactly what we want to hear here. Julian, thanks for joining us to talk about 2022. Thank you. Shreya Navatia is another return guest after joining us alongside Gabby Goldberg in our Citizens of the Metaverse episode. Shreya joins us from New York City and is director of On Deck Catalyst. Catalyst helps ambitious students and early career people start their first company or break into venture capital. She's on Twitter at Shreya Navatia. What is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? I'm really excited to see the democratization of venture capital knowledge and access. When Catalyst, I work with people who are about age 16 to 28. And one of the most exciting things I've seen with Gen Z and younger millennials is that they're not as confused about VC um, and it's not as much of a secretive or magical kind of experience as it might have been for older generations where a lot of the, co the core information happens behind closed doors or through intros to other investors. Um, people are really just opening up the floodgates, uh, sharing all of the information in books, blog, blog posts, and a lot on Twitter. Um, a ton of our Catalyst fellows follow Elizabeth Yin from Hustle Fund, and they love her threads about syndicates, uh, scout programs, education programs, how venture funds work, how venture math works, um, and just demystifying VC in general. One thing that's really cool is people don't need to get a role at an elite venture fund uh, or have significant personal capital to invest. Uh, people are investing with super small checks of $1,000 to $5,000. Um, accredited investor laws are changing, albeit gradually, and people are even leading syndicates 
where they themselves are not accredited investors, but they're gathering up other investors um, to raise and fill different people's rounds. And I'm curious, what are some examples that you saw in 2021 that convince you of the direction you're articulating here? Yeah, I want to mention a couple of our awesome fellows and some things that they've done to demystify VC. Um, so Paige Finn Doherty, you probably have seen her on Twitter. She was a founding fellow of Catalyst. Um, she created this seed to harvest picture book about how VC works um, to really get the ideas out there and make them very simple and easy to understand while raising her first fund for Behind Genius Ventures, which she's now founding partner of. Um, another awesome example is Shad Khan, who did the Catalyst Fellowship and is now in the Angels Fellowship. He's ex-WeWork, um, and he's a super active uh, small check angel investor and really connected in the European tech ecosystem. He's been a really great, like, super connector for Catalyst. Um, and then finally, Maria Guilfoyle, uh, she ran the syndicate um, called 4P um, with Ronnie Kuberski, who was also in Catalyst and is uh, now in Rough Draft Ventures. And Maria got a full-time role at Madrona Venture Group in Seattle. Um, so she kind of showed how she could prove that she had that track record first through just creating uh, those syndicates on her own and then from getting uh, like parlaying that into a full-time role. We were well said. Thank you. This is definitely fitting the news you can use bit for our audience here. See you in 2022. Thanks, Marshall. One of OnDeck's two CEOs, David Booth, joins us from New Zealand. You can find David's thoughts on how to organize the world's ambition on Twitter at David double underscore. David, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? One thing that I'm seeing that I know we're going to see a lot more of is community investment and ownership of the work that they're doing together, of the the companies and, and those communities. And for this to unlock uh, and to you know, create this, you know, these emergent business models that can sit on top of them. Um, it also you know logically empowers new exit models. Like there's this concept of, of exit to community, most notably demonstrated by the recent ENS airdrop become more common as a path instead of just the binary, you know, stay private, maybe get acquired, go public as a public company, companies, you know, not just within the Web3 space across the board should be thinking about liquidity early and often for their team members and getting their stakeholders as involved in, as, as possible. If you've got skin in the game, you stay in the game, as they say. The tools to power this movement are rapidly accelerating, but have a very long way to go. Also, the regulatory environment is is even less clear, but we'll hopefully see some more guidance from regulators as some of these cases work through in 2022. Tied into this theme, uh, just thinking from the individual's perspective, I think um, I actually first heard the term career polyamory that described people who work for multiple DAOs, multiple companies or communities all at the same time. It'll accelerate as it becomes more appealing, more, more possible, frankly, um, and in, in, in turn present quite unique challenges to those management teams. I think that you know, 2021 saw the rise of, of, of DAOs in, in popular lingo, distributed autonomous organizations um, are all the rage, but many of those, especially some of the bigger ones, will realize just how hard it is to govern by, by democracy and will start to see 
um, those who want to remain, who want to actually get anything done, elect and delegate a lot of powers back to smaller groups of individuals that run them as as both a governance and executional layer. Um, Frankly, I think we'll see a lot of that converge back on the same conventions and the same norms that we have in companies today from vesting to uh, different classes of shares to different roles and, and responsibilities. It's very hard today to get fired from a DAO. As you're describing the challenges facing companies and DAOs, it seems like a differentiating factor is going to be mission and alignment. How do you think, so in terms of like, if you're having to sort through different employees and different things, how, how what's your advice for folks who are needing to really make sure people who are participating in their company and their DAO are most aligned and invested in their mission? Because it seems like that is going to be a truly differentiating factor in a way that wasn't necessarily true beforehand. I think the big shift is just one that's been underway among effective companies for a long time, which is a shift from measuring inputs, like the number of hours you turn up and you, you work at an, at an office and the clothes you wear and the, and the cities you live in to, to outputs. You can be anywhere, you can work any hours so long as your outputs are what they need to be. And this is sort of our philosophy here. You know, Particularly many members of the OnDeck team have side projects that we're generally, genuinely really excited by. I think they add a lot to the, the team culture, to, to the, you know, the, the group that we have. Our philosophy is basically that if you are crushing it at the work you do with OnDeck so much that we don't, don't even notice that you have that side project, it's not detracting in any way from that time, then you know, do whatever you want. Um, but if it, if it comes to a point where it's clear that you are dedicating more time or more attention to that side project and that that is detracting from the commitments you've made. If deadlines have slipped or quality has slipped, then that becomes a real problem. And we will deal with that in you know, quite conventional mechanisms and you know, having those hard conversations when when, when the time comes. Uh, so, so for us, it's sort of another uh, component of a globally dis- remote workforce. You can't see what people are doing at all times. You have a lot of trust and we'll align our paths with yours for this period of time this is what we want to do together. And if people aren't holding up their side of that, of that bargain, then it's a pretty pretty easy answer. Yeah, I appreciate how you had a decently first principled approach here. And I'm more than guessing a lot of folks in newly engaged industries are going to have to take similar perspectives as well too. David, thank you so much for joining. This is very, very helpful. Thank you, team. Katya Delaney is an editorial lead on our growth and content team. Her recommendations to this podcast for the last few months have been most welcome. Kat, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? So um, I actually have two that I, I am super bullish on. One, I think that we're going to see a lot of dating apps that move from the top of the funnel to the middle of the funnel and try to help relationships as opposed to facilitate people meeting one another. Um, and I, I, I suspect that apps might uh, think that uh, might might realize rather that uh, not a lot of people are in stable relationships, so they might pivot to friendships. Um, and then the other thing is, I think we're going to see. Uh, an attempt to help people socially reintegrate after all this COVID social di- distancing, um, but through through apps or through tech. That's, that's really interesting. I'm curious, what 
marker points have you if any have you seen in 2021 that indicate that there's an opportunity to fill this space or that people are directionally moving towards it so the 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 dating piece is is much more robust than the the social integration piece um for for dating i've noticed that uh there's been a real push towards like adding a human layer um adding matchmakers there's even there have even been like a lot of personal ad style personal ads have seemed to come back in, in fashion um i know that the lex app was originally based on uh personal ads and then it turned into an app but i think that was sort of an anomaly that happened a couple of years ago um you see a lot of people posting on on twitter too like looking for partners and the reason i think that's actually foreshadowing moving to like the middle of the funnel is because i think there's this like fatigue with meeting people and people are like sick of the dating industry as something that they engage in to create new relationships. But again, the paradox there is that I don't necessarily think that means dating is going to get any easier. I just think that the the consumer side of it is is so played out that uh, people would, you know, will opt to be alone or opt to go a more traditional route uh, than to keep swiping. Uh, as for social integration, it's just a, it's just a feeling I have. Like this is assuming that COVID restrictions uh, ease up a little bit. Uh, it's just it's there's so many people who've been taking it like perfectly seriously, following the rules to the letter, and I think it's it's kind of obvious. Like of course there's a lot of trauma there, and uh, you know it's it's a problem to solve. And what what do we get when there's problems to solve? Uh, you know businesses that want to want to solve it. Very well said. Kat, thank you so much for joining us for this segment. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Earlier in the episode, Andreas mentioned that he expects more competition between different countries for remote talent. We wanted to make sure we spoke to Gons Sanchez about this too. Gons is the head of growth for our startups division. He's based in Argentina and also writes about European tech for his newsletter, Seed Table. You can find him on Twitter at Gons Sanchez S. So Gans, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? So to me, I, I'm sure everyone's talking about Web3 and stuff, but to me is the fact that capital is decentralizing away from the United States and China. So as a couple of examples, Europe minted 100 new unicorns when they only had about 200 before this, and they raised over 100 billion in 2021. That's record record growth. Uh, and for the first time in history, more than China raised uh, in 2021. Also, like Europe continues to produce more tech IPOs in the US. Uh, One billion IPOs are becoming the norm. And we're seeing like record-breaking exit activity. You could also move to LATAM, for instance. Um, in the first half of 2020, LATAM startups raised uh, something like 12 billion across 500 deals. That's more capital than was invested in the previous three years combined. Um, and the same happened in Africa. Uh, $5 billion in capital raised this year, at least up until November. Uh, and that's more the capital than, I think, the last two years combined. So the punchline is that capital is going away uh, from the United States and China. Uh, but it's not really going anywhere else or to any other country. And I think sort of it's, it's going to the internet. What, what made me think that is sort of 
a, a couple of things. Sort of the obvious one is that the world has, has gone remote. Uh, and this has, like Velagi says, uh, created a talent market for, for citizens. So a bunch of places like Estonia, New Zealand, Singapore, and I think now Argentina and other places like even like Qatar uh, or the United Arab Emirates are like thinking about building this Nomad visas and other similar programs because there's sort of effectively a, a talent market now for, for people who can move around and are willing to, to do so, right? Um, as, as an example, like I think there are about 9 million American expats right now all across the globe and that that sort of that number has doubled over the past decade. And I think that that's not going to change anytime soon. The other thing that made me think that is sort of, is the growth of Web3. Um, so uh, as everyone, I guess, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty into the space. Um, and some companies, you know, are were already hard to pinpoint to a specific geography. So OnDeck is a great example. CEO or co-CEO is from New Zealand. Companies, this is sort of based in the US workforce all over the world. The same with companies like Deal, for instance, the payroll provider, they're a French founder, US company, remote workforce. Um, but I think we're going a step further. Uh, and that's because you can you can say that a DAO, for instance, is European. Like a DAO is sort of from the from the internet. And I was going to ask you the question, what from 2021 really helped you come to this conclusion? But you did an excellent job of summing that up. So I'll just ask a quick follow-up to take us out. As you're talking about these technology and capital decentralizing, do you see different continents or regions developing specialties? My, my instinct is, is yes. Um, and I'm going to sort of give an example here. So punchline is there are certain types of technology that are better suited to certain geos. And the example that I'm going to use is uh, space and European tech. So for a bunch of geopolitical reasons, for instance, it's very hard to get a rocket into the US and you don't really want to build a rocket in Russia or China. Uh, the only sort of new, neutral uh, playground for people to think about um, space technology, and of course, companies like SpaceX and, and, and Vorto, is Europe. Uh, so there are a couple of, of really cool companies, one that's called ESAR Aerospace, who's based in Munich, but has like uh, launch pads in like Norway, they, 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 I think they raised two or three rounds in 2021, mostly because of the power of the technology, but also there are some certain factors like geopolitics that makes it a very compelling case. So I don't know if that answers the question. No, it really does. Very well said. Gans, thank you so much for joining for your, not prediction, but your analysis of how we're going to go into 2022. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Marshall. Last but not least, Eid Bengard is OnDeck's Director of Brand Marketing. In the past, Eid has worked with brands like Airbnb, Audi, IDEO, Levi's, and more. She joins us from Austin and can be found on Twitter at Eid underscore Bengard. Eid, what is an idea or trend that you expect to emerge, accelerate, or change in 2022? I could see a new wave of futurism hitting culture um, in a strong wave at that. I think the last time we had a really strong wave of futurism was in the 60s, in the time of space exploration. And a lot of that was because the government sponsored Disney to create all of these animations to drive cultural appetite 
for space exploration. But I think this time around, it's going to look very different. Uh, we have cultural figures like Elon inspiring this movement, and it feels a lot more collectivist. We have, um, I think it's going to be driven by by culture and you know, sh- like shared ownership of of that narrative, you know, rather than something that's just government sponsored. You just gave a really, really interesting answer that went a direction didn't think it was going to go. Can you, for my quick follow up, what is the actual difference between sixties like retro futurism and like Elon's like futurism? Like, because to your point, what I'm hearing here is that the sixties version is inorganic. The version that we're looking at now is much more emergent and organic. How does that aesthetically or even culturally manifest itself? Or maybe I just entirely mischaracterized what you just said. I think part of it is that it's just going to feel much more real and tangible. For the first time ever, Oculuses have sold more than Xboxes, and it allows people to situate themselves in these different worlds. And so I think it just feels so much more real than, say, you know, a Disney cartoon. And on top of that, you know, we've seen how technology's evolved, and I think we're getting a more, a better sense of, you know, how it will play into the future. Whereas before, it was, it was very Jetsonsy, you know, every <laughs> dogs running on treadmills to be walked, like very kind of impractical but fun, um, <laughs> fantastical, you know, technical solutions to things. And I think, you know, we have a better understanding as a whole of technology and we can really start to imagine what the future will look like a little bit better. Very well stated. Ed, thank you so much for joining us for this end of the year segment. Now, right after we finished recording Eid, our producer, Jackson Steger, surprised me by asking me for my thoughts on 2022 trends. I'll let that audio wrap us for the year, but one last announcement first, we'll be taking a break until mid-January to come back next year better and bigger than ever. If there are any guests you think we should have on the show or topics you think we should cover, please DM me or at Jackson Steger on Twitter. Thank you as always for listening. Marshall, you've done all of these amazing interviews with folks with their different tech predictions or thoughts on trends that are changing throughout the next year. Do you have any trends that you think might change, start, or otherwise accelerate in 2022? This is a total ambush, so we're testing my ability to think on my feet. I'll do a modified version of the Web3 answer, especially around narrative storytelling, because that's what we're effectively doing here as podcasters. I just listened to Beeple on Joe Rogan's podcast. And what was interesting is it's not much of a conjecture to say the segment didn't go that well. Joe came away very clearly not convinced. But what was interesting was Beeple did a good job of explaining what a DAO was. And he did a good job of explaining what an NFT was. Joe wasn't skeptical about that. So this isn't the normal, oh, it's all so technical. We don't really understand the actual issue during the segment was that people didn't convince Joe that the Web3 alternative, tech and all, was superior to the Web2 version. So Joe Rogan was talking about, hey, I want to do a fundraiser with my listeners to support causes I care about. And people was like, hey, like, 
launch a DAO and you could put it up for governance votes and all these different things. And Joe was like, why would I do that? I just want to control. And they got into a bit of an esoteric argument about that part and Joe came away unconvinced. And the issue there then was Joe did not hear the words, this is why Web3 is better than what Web2 Kickstarter is doing. So an opportunity that I'm really interested in is the Web3 commentariat moving beyond just giving people definitions. But have you listened to a Web3 conversation? It's, this is what a DAO is. This is what NFT is. And transitioning to everyone kind of gets what this is, or at least enough people get gets what this is. Let's move on to the next level and actually discuss the ideas and the implication. So is it actually good if you're a creator to have your community voting on things? Something Joe Rogan was sort of put off by was the idea that people would get votes based on putting money in. Okay, if you're going to convince the Joe Rogans of the world, you have to actually have an articulation of why that is a good idea that doesn't look like you're just selling governance in a way that doesn't feel legitimate. That's where the skepticism has come from. So I really want people to focus on, and I think naturally what's going to keep happening is we're going to see more efforts to actually move beyond just the very basic definitional discourse and get actually into the more storytelling, narrative-based argument one where these things aren't just posited, but actually proven. It's easy to say we want decentralization because you don't like the internet. The next step is going to be actually this is specifically why decentralization will give X, Y, and Z people a better experience. Well, appreciate that, Marshall. Great answer, despite my ambushing. Uh, And, you know, just kudos to you this whole year. You've done a great job of taking the jargon in some of these futures that are being built and translating them into plain English for our listeners. So excited to keep doing that in 22.